looking at Zechariah today. Zechariah chapter 3. There are 28 other Zechariahs just in the Old Testament. And so today we look at the prophet Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. We have a courtroom scene here. Zechariah was born in Babylon. One of those people born during captivity. He was also a priest. He returned to Israel with the exiles as they were freed to come back. And so we call this a post-exile ministry after they were in bondage. After that, he became a prophet. His name means Jehovah remembers. And uh, we, we're thankful for the great, great scripture that he gives us under the inspiration of God. Stand and ch- when you have it, chapter 3, we're going to read just a few verses. We're going to study all 10. And he showed me Joshua. Now, Zechariah is speaking, remember, on the inspiration of God. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. God bless us as we are, without Jesus Christ, filthy. We're filthy. And like, like, like the high priest, even the high priest needed atonement for his sin. We thank you for that. We thank you for what Jesus did on Calvary. We thank you for the music this morning to prepare our hearts as we study this passage. Help me to preach with your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you and God bless you. You may be seated. Several of Zechariah's prophecies are dated. In fact, if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, you'd see the name of Darius. It would tell you what year he was prophesying. Chapter 7, the same thing. In fact, we know specifically when he was prophesying as we study history and know when these monarchs reign. It is 520 years before Christ, before Christ is even born. And Zechariah talks a lot about the coming Messiah. They didn't know his name. Remember Proverbs? What is his name? What is his son's name? If thou can tell, if thou canst tell, and, and nobody knew his name, we would not learn that until he's born in a manger. And then he was named Jesus, meaning Savior. But he talks a lot about the Messiah. We'll look at some verses in a moment. But a great, great book of prophecy. And specifically, he's prophesying at the same time as Haggai. And this message in chapter, uh, starting in chapter one, you'll find lines up perfectly with the book of Haggai chapter 1. So it fits right in, uh, in chap- actually Haggai chapter 2. And there are several key verses in here. There's always a, a key verse in a book, but in Zechariah there's so many great ones. Look with me just momentarily at chapter 9. We're not going to preach all these chapters, but I want to point out some key verses. And they just jump out of the pages at you and, and, and just... Uh, the prophecy just speaks so loud. In chapter 9, verse 9, it says here, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on an ass and upon the colt of an ass. What is that talking about? It's talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now, it's 500 plus years prior to Jesus, and he's talking about the first coming. Then verse 10, he talks about the second coming. It goes on to say in the middle of the verse, it says, uh, and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
Remember, the devil's a prince in power of the air right now. He's the ruler of darkness right now. He's on this earth. But one day Jesus will come and his dominion will, will be from sea to sea. Then t- turn over, if, if you will, to chapter 12 and verse 10. We'll see his first coming in verse 10, his second coming in verse 11, chapter 12. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have what? Pierced. Is it talking about the first coming or the second coming? The first coming. Verse uh, 10, uh, verse 11. And in that day there should be a great morning in Jerusalem as the morning of Hadam Renum in the valley of what? That's the, that's the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. Look over at chapter 13. We'll see again the first coming in chapter 13. We'll see the second coming in chapter 14. In 13.6, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against thy shepherd, and against the man that is a fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. The first coming. When were they scattered? Seventy years later when Titus came in and and the Jews fled all over the world. First coming. Second coming. 14, 4 and 5. And his feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives. That's when he comes back to this earth and there'll be a great earthquake. They'll split right down the Mount of Olives. He'll stand there and split the mountain. And, And that's the second coming when he comes to this earth and becomes the lion and takes control of this world. He came as a lamb He'll come back as a lion. He left here in humility. He will come back in complete control of the world. I didn't want to use the word pride. Come back in victory when he stands foot on the Mount of Olives. Now let's look back at our text. These key verses are great, but we're looking at chapter 3 today. And here we have a courtroom scene similar to that in the book of uh, Job. Remember where Satan's accusing Job and the Lord's saying, consider Job, and Satan tries to pick him apart and all these things happen to Job. What an awful story, but with a great end. Here we have another courtroom scene here in chapter 3. And we find here Zechariah is saying, he showed me three people. Zechariah says, he showed me, first of all, the anointed high priest. Here's Joshua, not Joshua the conqueror of the Old Testament. This is Joshua the high priest. He's here in this courtroom scene. So we have Joshua, the high priest. Then he shows him the angel of the Lord. Now, mark this in your Bible, because anytime you see the definite article, the. This is not an angel. This is the angel. This is what we call a Christophany. Christ appearance. Christ, not epiphany, but Christ appearance prior to Bethlehem. We see Jesus throughout the Old Testament, don't we? We see him right in the beginning. In the beginning, God, that's the word Elohim, that's plural. And it goes on to say, let us make man in our image. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the water. The whole trinity is there in Genesis. We see that throughout the Bible. Here is Jesus, a Christophany appearing. So Joshua, I mean, Zacharias says, I see Joshua the high priest. I see Jesus, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Then he sees the adversary. Who's that? The accuser of the brethren. The adversary, it's Satan. Satan means adversary. Remember, he provoked David to count in 1 Chronicles 21. What was wrong with David counting, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. It was dependence on the great numbers in Israel at that time. He counted. He wanted to know how big they were in comparison to all these other big countries. Remember, when Israel was small in its own eyes, they were victorious. 
They could beat, beat, defeat massive armies because they were in the name of the Lord. And the Lord was going out before them and giving them the victory. When they started to look at their own strength, what happened? In all of our lives, when we look at our abilities and strength, thinking that somehow we're the reason for success at our job or anywhere else, we have to say, oh me, I'm in trouble. Because God is the reason. It's because of God. If you have success in your home, you have a child that loves God, thank God. Because God is their Heavenly Father. I wasn't such a great earthly father, but I have a great Heavenly Father. If you're successful at work, you better thank God who gave you the hands and the mind and the ability to do what you can do. It's all God. It's all about glory to God. And so here, here we find here, uh, the, the three here, Satan, the adversary, David, who thought he could depend. And it was Satan, the Bible says, that caused him to do that. So here's this courtroom scene. And in this courtroom, we find, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee. Read Psalm 110 when you get home, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord. What does that mean? Well, God the Father and God the Son. The, 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 the Trinity, the three in one. We find it throughout Scripture. So here we have two lords. One's the Father, one's the Son. And so we have two lords. And look what he says. The Lord said unto him, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem. And then it talks about a brand plucked out of the fire. What does that mean? What would happen to Jerusalem in AD 70? It would burn, baby, it would burn. But God would spare a remnant, Romans tells us. And enough Jews would be saved to keep going as a nation. Satan has attacked Israel throughout history. I mean, think of everybody hates Israel. Here are these Jews today in a little sliver of land, 140 miles by whatever wide, and, and I've been there, and what a great place to go visit. But you know, everybody around them hates them. You go to the Temple Mount and the Edomites, which are the uh, people of Jordan, they holler at the guards and holler obscenities at you. And you, you just think, how, how ridiculous. One day Jesus will come and straighten the matter up. But And you see throughout history, why would Hitler want to just exterminate the Jews? Because he was of Satan. People without Jesus are of their father the devil. I mean, the whole world is following the devil blindly. Just look what's happening around us. Everybody hates the Jews. More Jews are persecuted and picked on and, and, and humiliated, hurt, physically beat up in America every year than anyone else, but you don't hear it from the media. You know, we just took the other way when it comes to Jews. We're not supposed to like them, I guess. But Jerusalem is the brand plucked out of the fire, Amos tells us. Jerusalem will be preserved. They would move forward. So here's Joshua. Now I want you to notice something in verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. This word filthy actually means soiled from excrement. Number two, if I have to make it plain. Dung, poop, whatever you want to call it. That's what the word means. Here he is. He's standing before God. Jesus is there and Satan is there. And here's filthy, dirty Joshua. What does it tell us? He's the high priest. He's the high priest. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No preacher, no priest, no pope. You heard about God got in the airplane. 
sit next to the priest. And uh, he said to the priest, he was drunk, he'd been drinking, he said to the priest in a drunken way, what causes arthritis? And the priest got irritated. He said, I'll tell you, adultery, fornication, drunkenness. Real rude to the guy, and the guy got quiet. thought, man, I really bothered him. A few minutes later, the priest started to come to his senses and felt bad and said, I, I, I'm sorry um, how I reacted to you. He says, uh, why'd you ask what causes arthritis? He says, because I read where the Pope has arthritis. <laughs> it's a bad joke. <laughs> People hear a joke three times. They laugh when they hear it. They don't yet understand it. And they laugh when someone explains it. And then finally, when they understand it, they laugh out loud. But, I, I mean, the fact is, while some teach the infallibility of leadership spiritually, that is against all scriptural teaching. All have sinned. The word all means all. And that included me, and it included you. No one is above sin. I've said before, the only way to live above sin is to rent a room above a bar. Then you'll live above sin. But you'll never be without sin. John, 1 John, let's turn there. It's not in my notes. That's all right. The Lord just laid that on my heart to go to 1 John. 1 John chapter uh, 2, uh, chapter 1 and verse 8. In this, you need to mark your Bible. Years ago, I had a guy come to a Bible study in Panama, and he said, uh, I don't believe I sin. And I said, what? He said, I don't believe I sin. I'm saved and I don't sin anymore. He was from a teaching that a church that taught that. Within five minutes, I agitated him enough to have him angry enough to sin. And uh, I didn't mean to do it, but I showed him this verse. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Who's the truth? I am the truth, Jesus said. If we say we have no sin, the truth's not in us. We're lying. Present tense. Each one of you sinned this week. Each one of you will probably sin today and maybe tomorrow. Uh, we struggle. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the truth, the word of God, the logos, the living word, nothing's inside of us if we don't admit we're sinners. The first thing someone has to realize to be saved is that they're sinners. You can't be saved unless you realize what you are. And so we have to recognize our sinfulness. And so here's Joshua in filthy garments, the high priest. Uh, Ralph, Ralph uh, Smith of Word Commentary says he represents all of us because he's a priest mediating. Isn't that true? He represents all of us. Did you know that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become a saint? You say, ah, saint I ain't, Pastor. Yes, in God's eyes you are because God sees the blood. Remember Egypt, that great object lesson where they smote the side post and smote the head post and smote the other side post, a type of Jesus. I'm going to illustrate the Passover here one night. i got to learn to do that. But when I do that, you'll see the object lesson, how it points to Jesus Christ. But, but here the fact of the matter is, Josh was like that. He's the high priest, and we're all priests with God, yet we've all sinned. And we all sin all the time. And so we know that, that uh, Joshua is a type of all of us who are in need of cleansing. So first of all, uh, God here is speaking. And he's speaking, and first of all, God speaks to Satan. 
He says, I rebuke you, Satan. Then he speaks to his angels in verses 4 and 5. And he answered and spake unto those that stood by him, said, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. I like that. You know what that's a type of, isn't it? You know what it is, right? It's a type of us. This is prophetic. It actually happened, but it also points ahead. Remember all those stories about David? Prophetic messianic psalms where David talks about being betrayed by Ahithophel, his great friend, right near the brook Sheriff, same location where Jesus was betrayed. It's a type. It points ahead to the betrayal of Jesus Christ. Here's one of those. Points ahead to all of us that are filthy and need to be clothed. The Bible says one day we'll come back in robes of righteousness. But it's going to take God cleaning us up first. Take away the filthy garments. It's like our sin is gone. The word here means justification, just as if I'd never sinned. But the words take away are translated in Genesis 4.13, punishment. Punishment. Take away the filthy garments. Take away, the, the same Greek, Hebrew phrase here, excuse me, is to take away the punishment. What punishment would Joshua have to face? Take away the filthy garments. What, what, what does that, that mean, pastor? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Do you know because of what Jesus did, I, I don't have to face death, spiritual death. All I have to face is physical death from the curse. But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So he says, take away his filthy garments. Take away all his punishment. This is justification. Joshua's going to become someone who has never sinned. And we know that his, his, his sin is gone. He says, take away his filthy garments. That's a type. It's a picture of the future when Jesus Christ would take away all of our sin. Then he says in verse 5, set a fair miter. This is a turban on his head. And so it's, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Jesus is standing there. And this is a type. And of course, we know later Jesus would go to the cross and redeem us. And this word fair, miter, the word fair is translated pure in Psalm 12, 6, where it says every word of God is pure. Clean him up. Put clean clothes on. That's a type. It's a type. And then, then we find in verse 6, now God speaks to his anointed Joshua, to the anointed high priest. And the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus, the definite article, remember, the Lord, all four capital letters, we know that's Yahweh, that's Jesus Christ, before he said, I am the I am of Abraham. It's before that, it's before he comes in the name of Jesus. But here it says here, the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, word protested is used in this context because it's a courtroom. The same Hebrew word is translated. In Nehemiah, it's translated testified. In Jeremiah 42, 19, the word is translated admonished. So he admonishes, he testifies to Joshua. You can, you, there's so many ways, so many words, way this, excuse me, words, way that words are translated, excuse me. He says, thus saith the Lord. He protests, he testifies, he admonishes Joshua, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Did you know that phrase, Lord of hosts, is found over 50 times in Zechariah? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord of armies. 
You know, God one day is going to speak in the valley of Armageddon when all the nations gather against Israel. God's just going to speak and it's going to happen. I, I love, I love to read about Genesis and the great creation of God in six days. The evening and the morning were the first day. They were 24 hour days. Now there are some great Bible theologians and teachers of the past that don't agree. They believe there needs to be thousands or millions of years in between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, and they believe there needs to be longer days and they try and explain it away, but I just accept it for what it says. And so if I accept that, I accept all the other miracles of the Bible. God speaks, and it happens. Thus saith the Lord. And thus saith the Lord is found 62 times. And he says something to Joshua personally and professionally. He says personally to him, he said, walk in my ways. Walk in my ways. Walk the way you're supposed to walk. Walk right. You know, when you're without the Lord, you're not walking right. And unfortunately, sometimes people get saved, become Christians, and they still don't walk right. And God is going to keep chasing you and working on you and working on you and working on you till finally you're His chasing and get your attention and you say, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to start living right. Great story, a great object lesson in Jacob. Yeah, Jacob wasn't living right. He was a deceiver. He lied and he lied and he lied and he lied. He's on the run from, you know, he's, he's afraid of Esau and had contention with Jacob. Jacob just out, I mean, Laban just outsmarted him. He's running from Esau and Jacob's just constantly running from God. He's not walking right. He's actually running most of the time. What did God do? He touched his hip, did something to his sciatic. We don't know exactly how to explain that passage, but we know God touched him. And after God touched him, he walked differently, didn't he? He walked differently because God touched him. You know, God's touched me a time or two in my life when I was walking wrong. He said, you're going to walk right or you're going to go back over my knee and get another whipping. And I decided, you know, I'm getting tired of disobeying God. And when you're a child of God, you're miserable. I told a friend years ago, I said, the reason you're miserable is because you're a child of God and the most miserable person on the face of the earth is a Christian who's not living right because he never leaves you. And God just bugs you and bugs you and bugs you and bugs you. It's like when you're doing wrong and your kids say something. You, you want to say, don't watch what I do. Listen to what I say, don't watch what I do. You annoy me when you watch me. You're your wife who says, aha, don't, don't look at me when I'm doing the wrong thing. You know, people watch us, but the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And the eyes of the Lord are in every place, and He sees everything we do. And He gets frustrated with us, and He spanks us. And sometimes He touches us, and we walk differently. Because He has to just break us apart sometimes. I've known people that said, I didn't get right with God until this terrible thing happened in my life. And they'll share their testimony. I'm like, wow. Why do we wait so long? Why don't we listen to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit when he says, you know, you're not doing the right thing. You know, your kids are watching. I was reading where kids 18 months old are impressionable. 18 months old. 
They, they watch us and they learn our behaviors and they begin to do those things. It's amazing. And so here, here, God has to clean him up and he speaks to, to Joshua. And he says, here, walk in my ways. And then professionally, he says, and personally walk in my ways, professionally, keep my charge. That means guard. And he says here, I like this, if you walk in my ways, I'll give you places to walk. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You know, I love what I love about God is His timing is always perfect. I sometimes... Want him to hurry up? <laughs> God, why haven't you taken care of this? But when he does take care of it, you're always like, wow, I didn't know he'd do it that way. Well, his ways aren't my ways. He moves in mysterious ways. I shouldn't be surprised when something happens and I'm like, really? One of my friends from high school called me one day who I try to tell about Jesus and, and see him saved, and he never would, never would, never would. I try to almost force him to pray the prayer. You know how that goes. I got right with God, and he noticed a change in my life, and he started wanting to know, and I began to tell him. But it wasn't time yet. Till he was in prison. And then after getting out of prison, he was searching for the truth, and he met a wonderful Christian lady, told him about Jesus. It was God's timing. Don't stop praying. You know the unjust judge story? Even the unjust judge got tired of someone that persisted in asking and said, all right, I'll give you your way. God's timing. I don't understand it, but I have to accept it. So you walk in my ways and you keep my charge. And then verse, verse the next verse, verse 8 says, hear now. That word here is a great Hebrew word, shema. It's on my little magazine out there. Shema. What does that mean, Pastor? It's translated three ways in your Bible. If you've been here under my preaching long, you probably know that Hebrew word by now. It's translated here. It's translated listen. But guess how else it's translated? Obey. Obey. Same word translated three ways in your Old Testament. You know when God speaks, he wants you to listen. He doesn't just throw a bunch of words out. I know people that just never stop talking. Just, yep, 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 yep. I want to say, well, you shut up. <laughs> God doesn't do that. What God says matters. And every word is important. And we don't just need to let it go in the ear gate. We need to be doers of the word. You know when your boss says, hey, the break room's filthy. Well, thanks for telling me. No, that doesn't mean I just want you to know it's filthy. That means go clean it. You know, the hamburger, I remember I was in the meat business. And I'd say that to the cutters, we're out of hamburger. Okay. What does that mean? It meant get on the grinder and get some hamburger out there. And I'm not God. They knew what it meant. God says some things and he expects us to obey. Don't just listen. Don't just hear. Obey him. 
It's why he speaks. He expects us to obey. The problem in most people's lives is they don't, they know enough scripture. They just don't obey what they know. He says, obey. And he says here, behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted. I'm, I'm reading it wrong. I, the wind has blown my page about 10 times. Here it says, Hear now, Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wonder, these wondrous men. For behold, I bring forth my servant, the branch. Now, we don't have time to look at a lot of scriptures, but in 6.12, behold, the branch, it says. It's talking about the tree, the lineage of Jesus Christ. He's part of the lineage of David. He would be on the throne one day. And as you read about the branch, he's also called the stem, the stem of Jesse. Well, Jesse was David's father. That's all about the lineage of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 23.5, I'll read it. It talks about the branch um, in Jeremiah 23.5. It says here, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will... Raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice on the earth. You know when that's going to be? The millennial king. Jesus Christ came to die, but he'll come back next time to rule. And so the branch and, and the stem all point to Jesus Christ. Behold the lamb, John said. Behold the branch, recognize that this is the offspring of David, fulfilling every one of the 300 Old Testament prophecies. But in the New Testament, John said, Behold the Lamb. And that Lamb is from that branch, from that tree. Verse 9, For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be given seven eyes. Look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. Remember those seven eyes. Revelation 5, 6. This is the last place you'll turn. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. And the reason I say mark this is we always talk about fulfillment. Revelation 5, 6. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of their elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and what? Seven eyes. How does Jesus have seven eyes, Pastor? Seven's the number of completion. He sees everything. He knows it all. He sees it all. I've had teenage kids that knew it all. Thought they did. Jesus does. He has seven eyes. And he says, I will, in, I will engrave thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. One day. What day is that talking about? Here again, like we've seen throughout Zechariah, he'll talk about the first coming and the second coming back to back. And here's, here's one of the great examples of it. In that day, I'll remove the iniquity. I'll remove the sin. When was that? Romans eleven twenty seven 27 says, this is my covenant. I will take away their sins. In one day, he took away the sins. What day was that? It was, it was the day that the stone was rejected. The, the builders didn't want any part of that stone. The Jews didn't want that stone. That stone was who? Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 118 talks about the stone. About the stone. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we know He is the stone. He, he's the rock, 1 Corinthians 10.4 says. He's the rock in the weary land. 
Peter said he's the cornerstone. He's a stone of stumbling. In one day, he says, I'll take away all the iniquity of the land. That day is Calvary. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. One day they left him alone in the garden. One day he rested from suffering free. The greatest day in the history of mankind is the day Jesus Christ died. Wasn't the greatest day for him. He suffered. His father turned his back on him. He said, why hast thou forsaken me, God? Why did you turn your back upon me? Because God couldn't look upon sin. and Jesus became sin for us. That one day. Oh, what a day that would be. Boy, three days later, it was quite a day. Huh? He came out of that grave. One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. One day he's going to come back. I, I wish, the, I, I, sometimes I wish, you know, the rapture happened and we could come back five minutes later. I, I just can't wait to see the Lord set up his kingdom. I can't wait to see him deal with sin. The problem with my desire is that I have to remember to be compassionate towards sinners. Rather than want the world to be judged by God and be thrown into hell by God, I should want the world to be saved. And that's sometimes hard for us to distinguish. We have trouble separating the sin from the sinner. There are certain TV anchors I don't like. I can't wait till Jesus comes back, but that's not really the attitude I should have towards them. I should want them to be saved. That's where compassion makes the difference, Jews said. Jesus Christ would sit down and eat lunch with those people. He would. He'd talk to them about himself and about Calvary. You know, we'd probably insult them. This is true. I, I had this thought one night. I was half asleep and half out of sleep, and I thought that I sat next to someone I didn't like on an airplane, and I was just letting them know what I thought of them. And I came, kind of woke up a little bit and thought, ooh, I must be thinking about that person a little too much. And I thought, and my heart is not right about that person's soul. We're not supposed to want them to go to hell. I've been to preacher's fellowships and heard preachers get up and say, they ought to just stone all the fags. They're going to hell anyway. Just stone them and kill them. And I've heard people amen that. And I'm like, what is wrong with us? Jesus came as a servant, lowly, to bring salvation to men. And so here we have this one day, this one day, and I love the angel of the Lord who is so much to us. He's He's, he's our advocate, John says, 1 John 2, 1. Do you know what the scene in heaven, you know what was going on? Jesus Christ is a mediator. 1 John 2, 1 says he is our advocate. You know what that means? It's a word meaning lawyer. He's the go-between. You know, the Holy Spirit is our counselor. He, he, he's like the paralegal that does all the work. Jesus is the advocate that's the lawyer, and God's the judge. One day, all judgment's going to be given to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? God's going to, John 5, 22, Jesus, you go and judge the world. 
And everybody who's denied him will stand before him. What a day. That's What a day, the day of salvation. Then we have another day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall you call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Remember when Jesus saw Nathanael under a fig tree? That's a type of peace and prosperity. Solomon's peaceful reign was described as a fig tree, being with a fig tree. Shennacherib told Hezekiah, your people will sit under a fig tree if you submit to me. Of course, he's a liar. That's a type of one day when there'll be peace. So here's this courtroom scene. Back to verses 1 through 3. Just think of Jesus Christ as your advocate. And you're standing before God. And if you don't know Jesus, your clothes are filthy, meaning you are filthy. And you're going to be cast into hell. That's the great white throne judgment. That's reality. If you haven't been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, you are filthy. And if I didn't know Jesus and I knew my sin was, was going to cause me to be separated from God from eternity, uh, at this point in time in my life, I think I'd get out of my pew and run to the altar. I, I wouldn't care what anybody thought. I'd want to be saved from my filthiness. And the only hope is the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're not saved today, I pray you come and be saved. We'll have someone down here to help you, to show you with a Bible how to trust Jesus Christ. And if you need to come for any other reason today, you come. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for one day, for one day, Father, when you sent Jesus Christ up Calvary's mountain, the place of the skull of Golgotha, and he died for our sins. I just pray if there's anybody here today who's not saved, they'll be saved. If anyone needs to come and pray for any reason, our altars are open. Blessed now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.